Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Oh, I hate having a cold. And welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast, if you haven't heard it before, where I ask people to tell me five things from their life that they wish they had in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish and one thing that they'd like to put in there so they can bury it and forget it. My guest in this episode is the Irish stand-up comedian, actor and filmmaker, Deirdre O'Kane. The last few years have been something of a whirlwind for Deirdre. She recently fronted her own talk show, Deirdre O'Kane Talks Funny, in the primetime Saturday night slot on RTE1 and debuted a brand new stand-up comedy series, The Deirdre O'Kane Show, with Sky Comedy. Deirdre also appeared as a judge alongside Boy George on the new talent show The Big Deal for Virgin Media Television. Deirdre is a co-founder of Comic Relief in Ireland and presented the critically acclaimed RTE Does Comic Relief, which raised more than 6 million euros to help those most in need as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. In recent years, she's hosted the prestigious Irish Film and Television Academy Awards. She reached the finals of the National Broadcaster's top-rated entertainment show, Dancing with the Stars, and Deirdre is also the voice of the smash hit perennial Gogglebox in Ireland. Deirdre is undoubtedly one of Ireland's favourite comedians, and her new stand-up show is currently touring Ireland and the UK, so get tickets if you can. Deirdre is a six-time Irish Film and Television Awards nominee and was awarded Best Lead Actress in a Film in 2015 for her role as Christine Noble, opposite Brendan Coyle in Stephen Bradley's feature Noble. Her other film credits include the BAFTA-winning Festival for Channel 4, Intermission, Killing Bono and Dollhouse. 
On TV, Deirdre starred in Darren Starr's hit sitcom, Younger. She was also in Paths to Freedom on RTE, in which she played Brendan Coyle's long-suffering wife, Helen, The Clinic, Fergus's Wedding, The Fits and Bittersweet. Deirdre played the lead role of Deborah Moon in three series of Moon Boy, opposite Peter MacDonald and Chris O'Dowd, garnering Deirdre her fifth IFTA nomination in 2014. Her theatre credits include Mary and Juno and the Paycock at the Abbey, Miss Funny in At the Black Pig's Dyke at the Druid Theatre, Daphne in Present Laughter at the Gate Theatre, Jean in two sold-out runs of Dandelions at the Gaiety Theatre, and her highly acclaimed performance in the one-woman show My Brilliant Divorce, also at the Druid. So, in other words, if you've never heard of Deirdre, you've never been to Ireland. Still, here's your chance to get to know this fabulous, funny woman, as she tells us the five things from her life she'd like to have in a time capsule. Cheers, or more appropriately, Slantra. Hey. Hi, Deirdre. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Well, I'm well, but I'm I'm so sorry about this morning. That's organisation. There's other people. It's nothing to do with us. For once, it is other people, and that pleases me hugely. Because <laughs> it's usually me, but it wasn't this time. So I was no. like, is it, is it me? Is it me? He goes, no, it's my fault. I said, okay, great. That's all right. I don't mind. You know, I mean, I, there's so many things people have to organize. When things like that happen, you sort of go, oh, yeah, that's my life. And also, usually it goes in my favor when uh, I'm usually, I usually get a bit wound up and a bit full of adrenaline, chaotic, and that usually works for me. Okay. Famous last words. Famous last words. Famous last words, as you see me <laughs> nodding off in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> Wake up. Indeed. Well, I hope I've gotten this right. You have, I'm sure. I think I have. I think I have. Yes. Do you know, there isn't really a wrong, Deirdre. Okay. So, great you know, answer. Great. It's fine. I love you now. That's a great start. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely whatever you make of it, you know. So okay. I send you this sort of rather loose thing about you know it's a time capsule you're putting things in it i don't say for when i don't say for whom so it's very much whatever you choose do you know what's funny um it was so easy to think of things i wanted to bury really and very hard to think of things i i there's things i love but i don't have funny stories attached to them yeah i know uh, whereas loads of stories attached to all the tragedies because yes. all the bad things because that's what's funny so i was like <laughs> things i love that have a story i mean the strange thing is i think Deirdre, in these situations that i'm talking to you and before this goes on on our podcast i do a little introduction i go you know my guest is Deirdre O'Kane, and i then talk about you so that's what people will have just heard. And for anybody in Ireland, they'll be going, why did you tell us that? We don't need to know that. We know who that person is. Whereas for everybody else, strangely, even though you are, I think, one of the stars of the Edinburgh Festival and have been for a long time, you're not as well known here. No, no, not at all. I, I get it. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm desperate to get off this island <laughs> and, and, and get on to yours. <laughs> <laughs> Come so uh, you don't have to explain to me. I, I I appreciate it. And I have shows to sell. So I'm in Soho Theatre for four nights yeah. in July. Yeah. So um, I need, uh, yeah, I need all the help mm. I can get right now. I've only ever seen you on telly, really. Yeah. We'd love to come and see you live. I must... Oh, please come. Please come on the July date. Soho Theatre. Yes, well, I will do. 19, 20, 21 and 22. I will do. I love going to the Soho Theatre as well. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? It's a good night out always. Like You could almost go there every night, you know. An hour of laughter. It's better than therapy. Like, Absolutely. It's cheaper than therapy. It's great. 
thankfully, I will have the opportunity to book before I promote it on this podcast. So I'll get in for the first seats. You're so kind. I I appreciate it. Because like you said, I don't have, it's a funny one about my profile in the UK. I took 10 years out of comedy, though, you see, when I had babies. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. That really, I, I paid a high price for that. I'd give those mm-hmm. children back now for good. <laughs> <laughs> do you constantly remind them of what yeah, you sacrificed? I do, yeah. You yeah. ruined everything. I um, could be enormous in the UK. I'd be huge now. I'd be huge now. <laughs> but anyway, look, at say la vie. I have what I have here and I'm, I'm grateful for it. So, Deirdre, we're going to talk about five things you've picked to put into a time capsule. Do you want to know all of the things in advance? I like being taken by surprise, actually. Okay. Um, my first is a memory. Okay. From Dancing with the Stars, which uh. is Strictly. So I did, that's what we call Strictly in Ireland. Mm. And my memory is from one of the weeks the big snow came. It was five years ago during the big snow. Yeah. And we had to all check into a hotel to be next to the, the dancing studio. Mm. But I... Just to start this story off, I had no intention of doing Dancing with the Stars. I'll I'll keep reiterating strictly because I I had the fear of reality television. I hadn't really done much of it. I was like, dancing? Like, no, I I had been an Irish dancer as a child, but ballroom and Latin ballroom, that's a a different league entirely. Anyway, so I I said no when they they asked me to do it. I was also about to be 50, so I thought, ah, no, come on. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm putting the legs away now. So they said, would I do it? And I said, no. And then they kept coming back to me and they kept coming back to me. And eventually the producer said to me, look, what is your biggest concern? What are you really worried about? He Mm. said, would you be worried about the Strictly curse? Now, at that point, I hadn't watched loads of Strictly. I wasn't really that that into it. So I said, what's that now? (laughs) And he said, oh, um, well, you know, uh, quite a lot of the participants in the UK and in the States have left their partners for their much younger, sexier, skinnier dance partners. <laughs> so then I said, oh, well, go on then, I'll do it. <laughs> You'd uh, be scared of that. <laughs> <laughs> so why, why did you say that to me in the first place? Uh, I, would, I wouldn't have taken so long to make a decision. <laughs> Could you send me some photographs so I can pick? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, I did do the show, and honestly, it's it's an extraordinary experience. It's such a roller coaster. But this one week in particular is a memory I will cherish forever because the snow came down and the traffic stopped. You know, in, in Dublin, it was the same in London at the time. It was like, mm. okay, nobody's going anywhere. Uh, so, of course, the dancing must go on. <laughs> so, so we were all put into this hotel, and at one point. The hotel ran out of milk and I said, somebody will have to drink Prosecco. Now, what, what was funny about that was one of my co-celebrities on the show was an Olympic athlete. And I, at this point, we were like eight or nine weeks in. I was physically broken. Every part of my body was hurting me. And Rob was an Olympic medalist. And I said, Rob, you have to help me. I am in so much pain now physically. I said, what will I do? Like, I'm doing everything. I'm having physio. I'm having this blah. And he said to me, and he's from Cork, so he has a strong accent, so bear with me. He said to me, D, D, you just have to make sure that your pee is clear. (laughs) I said, excuse me? He said, just make sure your pee is clear. He said, your muscles are like sponges and they're soaking up all the moisture around them. And if there isn't enough moisture in your body, 
they'll seize up on you. So make sure your pee is clear. Hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. So <laughs> when we all landed together in the hotel and we were drinking Prosecco instead of milk, mm. I took great pleasure in telling Rob Heffernan, who was the athlete, I said, Rob, my pee is not just clear, it's sparkling. <laughs> It's slightly fizzy. <laughs> but it was the it was the most amazing week. And it was so funny because I was saying to people, you think that now what's happening now is that they're getting ambulances, trucks, and special forces to deliver food to hospitals. Not at all. <laughs> Clear the roads. This girl has to do a samba. It was, it, it was literally like that. Never did I see more importance attached <laughs> to a TV show than, than this one. And of course, the whole country was watching it because we were at a standstill. So that was a big plus as well. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? But honestly, if you're going to encourage the Strictly curse, what's the last thing you want to do is put them all in a hotel with lots of Prosecco. (laughs) It's a terrible thing to do. Yes, yes. And yeah, it it, it caused carnage, chaos. (laughs) Not with me now. I was a living saint. Nothing to do with me. Um, But but yeah, a lot of people had a good time. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely memories for them as well. Indeed. They are extraordinary beings, though, aren't they, those dancers? I've never seen anything like them. No. I, I, my respect for dancers is off the charts. Yeah. They're like racehorses. Like, they're like like world-class, you know, athletes, aren't they? And mm. and the pain that they can withstand physically is amazing. And the endurance that they have. Endurance. Over and over and over again. Here, let's do it again. Let's do it again. I mean, I've not done it, but I was working at the BBC on a regular basis while Strictly was being done. And uh, amazingly, I smoked at the time and so did all the dancers. Wow, really? I know. And so we would gather outside and have have a fag. And I got to know all these dancers. And often that's the case, I think. They have so much ability. They're in such a good physical condition. They sort of go, well, I can cope with this. I can cope with cigarettes. Yeah, but but you see, then they're not eating very, they're not eating a lot. No. Not not when they have to be show fit for the telly. They they just cannot have an extra inch (laughs) of fat on them. They are lean. It's that moment when the shirt comes off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, I know I've always appreciated dancing, but until I saw this up close, I was just blown away. So yeah. you were the same. Well, anyway, I got, I got to the final in the end and I turned 50 that day. Wow. And both of my finalists, the two finalists with me, I was double their combined ages. <laughs> <laughs> he was 19, she was 25 or something. So I thought, oh. That's brilliant though, isn't it? Yeah, it was. You sort of go, yeah. well, hang on a minute, I'm on a par with you. I can well, still do what you can do. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I, it's not a birthday I'll forget in a hurry either. You know, no. So it was, quite a, it was quite a big thing. Yeah. yeah. How did you do the week of the, uh, of the snow? Was that a good week for you on the telly? Um, I think it was a good week. Do you remember the dance? I think it was a samba. And that's not easy, is it? The samba is the one that everybody says, oh, yeah. Awful. Actually, I think the memory is coming back. I've put a lot of those memories away. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should have picked one of those dances for the bad memory. (laughs) I had so many, so many stories from that time. I mean, the week of switching partners. That's not something they still do, I don't think, in the UK, is it? No, they don't, no. Oh, my God. Well, so I had a lovely Irish pro dancer. And mm. the, the week we switched up, I was given um, a Russian lad. Now, not not to disparage the Russians because of everything that's going on, okay? This is, yeah. this is, this is just by the by. Yeah. Suddenly, 
it was very serious and he was very strict. And I kept saying, no, God, please, they wouldn't put me now. They wouldn't put me with Vitaly, which was his name. So they wouldn't do that to me now. And sure enough, the next thing, they put me with this lad and his reputation was fierce for, for being <laughs> control freak. And I thought, now I'm not, I'm not in it for that. Do you know what I mean? I, I was no. like, I, I'm the comic here now. I'm not in, I'm not in it to win it. Like I, mm. I want to do well and I will work hard. Anyway, do you know how the Russians teach their children, do you? <laughs> they, they beat them with, with big sticks. It was, yes. it, was, it was like the Irish Catholic priests, but Russian. It, it was similar? <laughs> very, very similar. And he was screaming at me and roaring at me. And then one, he, and what if I had a fellow comedian who had been dancing with his wife. He had a wife who was a pro dancer in the show. And Bernard, who's another comic, he said to me, He's going to break you. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to break you. <laughs> and, and and he did. He did. About three days in, I had I hadn't shed a tear. I was Mrs. Happy out, and then I just suddenly one day, eight hours in, and he was still shouting at me to go again. And I I said I need a moment. I said Vitaly, I need a moment. Mm. And I left the room, and he came out after me, and he saw that I was upset, and he and then he suddenly calmed down. He said, D, I need to say to you, this is toughest show in world to do. My wife Valeria, she is crying every day. I said that's because she's married to you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you need to chill out. <laughs> mm, I don't know how dancers do it because it is not only an incredibly punishing world, but as you say, it's tough. Choreographers are awful to dancers, I think. If a director ever talked to an actor that way, we'd all be up in arms. Everybody would go and strike. Yeah. You can't talk to me like that. You can't just tell me what to do. Whereas dancers, again, do it again. No, higher, quicker. Yeah. I wonder with everything that's changed and a time's up movement, and I wonder has their behaviour mellowed a bit? I wonder. Do you think so? Do you think they've been made to because it, it would now be seen as bullying? Or do you think it's so yeah. inbuilt into the whole thing? I'm not, I'm not sure the younger generations would would tolerate it, and, and I'd I'd be delighted for them if that was the case. It's yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well done. It's too hard. Yeah, yeah. I've had plenty of directors shouting and roaring over the years. Um, uh, now, no, I think you're right though. Not not as much as the dancing. That as a discipline, no. ballet in particular, in the classic oh, styles are really tough. Yes. Tough. A long time ago, I auditioned for Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat in the West End, and I auditioned for one of the parts of the brothers. It was a great role. You had lots of funny things to do and what have you. But at the end of it, everybody did this dance routine. And I did say to my agent, you will tell them I really can't dance. You know, and if they want me to dance, it'll take a while. And they said, they're not worried about that. They want people to come out and be different. So I went through the whole process. They were going, great, great. Can you stay around? I said, yeah, great, fantastic. Okay. Uh, the choreographer would just like to see you. And everybody really charming to me. And the choreographer turned up and said, you'll have to take those shoes off and do it bare feet. And I went, okay. Uh, and then all these other people came on and started stretching and limbering up. And she said, okay, um, you, 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 split us all into groups of four. And then she said, and the routine is this. And off she went. And then she said, okay, group one. So she thought you were a dancer. And she, I, I went, oh, excuse me, hang on, sorry. No, I, I'm really, I can't do this. I'm not a dancer. She said, well, just do your best. I did do my best. I tried really hard. I stood at the back and I tried to copy people. And eventually she said, do the you uh, at the back. I said, Mike. She went, yeah, you. Come to the front. I want to see what you know of it. And I went, well, I don't really know it. I'm copying people and I haven't learned it yet. It's, it's really no point. She said, look, I'm not looking for you to be perfect. In a way, I'm looking for individuality. Oh, my God. And I went, oh, okay. So I came forward 
and the music started and I made my own dance up. Perfect. The right thing to do. You would think, wouldn't you? She said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm showing you my individuality. Yeah, bravo. She said, right, you can leave. And I was it. I was out. That was it. None of the rest of it counted for anything. Nothing at all, no. And you're thinking, why did they not just start with the dancing and I'd ruined all my talent on them all day? <laughs> I spent all day doing this. Spent? Oh! Anyway, there's a very long story. I'm sorry. but We're uh, in a tough business, aren't we? Mm, but I admire the fact that to get to the final and to reach it on your 50th birthday, how fantastic. It's an amazing yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was. Deirdre, I'm going to take that snowbound week in a hotel and put it into the time capsule as a memory for you. Thank you. That's number one. Okay, so what's your second thing? A second happy memory now you want. Well, you can do it in any order. You could put the bad thing in and get rid of it at any point. I don't mind. Okay, well, I, I love food. And I particularly love if somebody cooks for me or I'm eating out because I love food, but I'm not a good cook. And I'm eternally disappointed by my own efforts. So if someone cooks for me, you you will never get a happier guest. I'm just so thrilled <laughs> and so impressed by other people's ability to cook. And, and I've let it go. You know, I've tried. I've made all the efforts now to be a good cook. It's not going to happen. I'm just like, you to let it go. Love. You're funny. That'll do. Mm. You know, so fine. I've let it go. So well, the food is, is, a, is a big one. And I probably have a lot of stories about food, but a few memories. One was my first time that I ever went to India. I went uh, on, on holiday but I, I had only landed and I met this couple. I was by the pool and it was our first day and I was thinking about all of the delicious Indian food that I was going to eat. And I met this couple and they said to me, the first thing they said to me was, oh, we've had a lovely time. We're here for a while. And they said to me, do you like a good Chinese? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I just remember finding it so hilarious that, that I was in India and this was like the first the first question that I, that I was asked, um, yeah. but I love uh, I love Indian food, and indeed mm. I love Chinese food. But as well, I think my love for it is combined with my horror of having to cook so much when my kids were little, and just being. Mm. I took time off from being a comic to be a stay at home mum, and and every time I say stay at home mum, I know I shouldn't because there are there are men out there doing the full time thing, and as I like to say, I take my hat off to the four of them. Because it isn't easy at all. But what happened to me when I was doing that job was I became obsessed with food. Mm. And I I couldn't believe how often kids needed to eat. I thought, this is ridiculous. (laughs) They never stopped. Three meals a day doesn't begin (laughs) to cover it. It doesn't begin to cover it. And I remember my head, literally, and nothing else came into my mind every day was literally what we have now for the next meal and the next meal. <laughs> and uh, I, I remember at one time it was so bad that my head, my head would think like this. I would be thinking about what we have for the, what do we have for the breakfast? What do we have for the dinner, the midnight, the bedtime snack, the breakfast, the morning snack, the lunchtime, the afternoon snack, the dinner, the hot chocolate, the breakfast, the lunch boxes, the lunch, the water bottles, the laundry will never be done. The dinner, the dinner. Oh, geez, we're back. We're back. We're back at the dinner again. And going, yes. right, well, there's there's chicken in the fridge. Uh, how long is that there for? I wonder now, two days, maybe it's three. Oh, I'm 
Here it's fine. She does sell by date. They're only for insurance. Oh, still, no. If in doubt, throw it out. Ah, no, I'm sure it's perfectly fine. Oh, still, no point in poisoning the whole family. That's the way my head would go. And then I thought, oh, and then I'd take the chicken and I'd throw it out and I'd go, oh, God, right, I'll have to make pasta. But then I go, I've, I've got to get some protein into Daniel or his brain will never develop. Oh, the, the protein and cheese, isn't there? Ah, yeah, that'll do. And maybe I could use up those bananas that are turning black. Note to self, dear, to stop buying bananas and waiting for them to turn black. I'll have to make banana bread. Oh, God, no, I'm not in the mood for that I could make smoothies what do I need for smoothies milk raspberries ice cream what's the story with raspberries four quid for five raspberries and a punnet I must remember to grow them in the next life I, I literally I lost my mind about food and yeah. and as a result I somebody cooks for me or I get to eat out I'm the happiest woman alive <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> it absolutely drains you of any desire to cook again, I'm sure. I do remember it with my own, that thing of having cupboards full of snacks. Mm, for fear that they would have a moment of hangry, that, that a child that a child <laughs> might just need a little sugar top-up before they lost it and went entirely over the edge. That's what all the cupboards full of snacks are for, so, so that you yeah. can prevent a breakdown, a full-on breakdown. So you're like grabbing <laughs> yeah. things, shove that into that child quickly. <laughs> Save some chaos. Yeah, it's extraordinary. I, I was so shocked by what it took to be a full-time parent. I was so shocked. That, that was why I went back to comedy. I stopped for 10 years and then my husband begged me to go back. He said, he literally said, none of us can take any more of this. <laughs> it's not good for the children. It's not good for me, love. Please go back to work. <laughs> Please try and find some happiness. Yeah. We can't bear you having that face any yeah. longer. And the no thanks for it and the no pay. And you make, if you made the efforts to make a lovely meal, your children don't care. They don't care. In fact, they care less. If you've made a nice meal, they just want the pesto mm. again. And they just want the fish <laughs> fingers again. And what are you doing making a roast chicken? Yeah. My daughter actually, and, you know, and they're ruined. Like we have them ruined. Speaking of ruined, I was living in Chiswick at the time when my kids were little and uh, and we had a very lovely time living in West London for about 10 years. But I was outside a, um, not a Sainsbury's, what's the other fancy one? I'm out of London too long. Waitrose. Standing outside Waitrose one day and I heard this dad saying to his child, Tiffany, if you don't behave, you won't be getting any pomegranate. <laughs> 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 and I thought I'm in a foreign welcome country, to yeah. Chiswick <laughs> I was thinking the rest of us have a stashes and cupboards full of little bars they were getting pomegranate I love that I did once hear well I once saw a woman hit her child and she shouted it ain't ain't it's int <laughs> brilliant that's brilliant. Mm, I'm not in Chiswick. No, yes, I love, I, I love that. that. I love that. And on the food <laughs> thing as well, you know, they're, uh, you know, we ruin them. Like we ruin them because we've, for some reason, our modern day culture is just entirely about what children should eat and what they shouldn't eat. Now, when we were kids, it was like stay outside and when you're hungry, come home. Do, don't do not come into this house before six o'clock. There was one dinner, and you didn't complain about it. Everybody ate it. End of. Mm -hmm. That was the way it was. And now we have them ruined. And you're saying, what would you like? What would you like? Yeah, and you didn't leave anything because there were children in Africa starving. Yeah, hundred percent. That's what. They yeah, say. well, I still say it. <laughs> I still say it. You're not. Look, there's people in the Ukraine not getting a dinner today. I, I can't help myself. Like that's just ingrained mm -hmm. in your head, isn't it? That stuff. Yeah, of course. But, uh, but yeah. I, my, my daughter said to me, asked me one day not long ago, what was for dinner? It was a Sunday, and I said roast chicken. 
And she went, yeah, I've gone <laughs> off roast chicken. And I said, for God's sake, this is the last straw now. I said, for, I said, you cannot go off roast chicken. It's a winner, winner chicken dinner. And she said to me, I saw it in the fridge. It's a funny looking color. I said, it's yellow because it's a corn fed chicken. And I said, if you were eating corn in the cob all day, it wouldn't be long before you looked like Lisa Simpson either. <laughs> <laughs> what is the world coming to then when you spend your entire time? I mean, I watch my own daughter do it now and my son and his wife, just that thing of constantly trying to plan for the next thing, which is only minutes away. It only ever is. We've got sandwiches to make, and then that's followed by snacks, and then that's followed by the afternoon thing. And before we go to bed, we have a little bit of fruit chopped up. Quite nice fruit, you know? Yeah. Blueberries and things like that. Blueberries. Blueberries, yeah. Whoever ate those? They're huge. Blueberries are on fire. (laughs) (laughs) They've arrived. Yeah. How many children have you got? Only two. You think I had a half a dozen the way I'm going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, that you gave them 10 years. That's pretty good, I think. That's plenty. Well plenty. Mm. Yeah. Well, we'll put that in. Food. Cooked by someone else. Yes. Maybe a nice curry. I'll put that in oh, for yeah. you. Lovely. You can eat that in China. Oh, clearly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and vice versa. <laughs> 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 okay, that's two things, Endira. So what's number three? Right, I'm sorry, but we need to interrupt this chat briefly for an ad break. See you in a moment. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back to My Time Capsule and the rest of the things that Deirdre O'Kane would like to have in her time capsule. Well, it's it's closely linked. Will I be allowed to have this? I have a gin and tonic every day at five o'clock. I don't have a second one. I'm very grateful that I do not have a drink problem, but I couldn't live probably without that gin and tonic. That, that first one drink to me is just manna. From heaven, it's like <laughs> you know what it does. It's it's the and and even I, I have many discussions with friends about this. But the second one, not, I'm not talking about a night out now. I'm just talking about at home. Like the mm-hmm. second gin and tonic, it's not the same. It doesn't do the same thing. That first one is magical, and it just takes the the edge off the day. <laughs> I'm nicer going into the evening. I'm nicer <laughs> to everybody around me. And I wouldn't sacrifice it for all the the tea in China. 
So I'm going to say gin as a thing that I absolutely love. And are you specific about the gin? Do you like trying different types or do you have I, a specific I, one? I'll try any gin you give me, mm. I have, but I'm not a fancy gin person. I mean, no. if, if I had to pick a favourite gin, I'd probably say Gordon's. I think Gordon's is fabulous. Anyway, everybody yeah. says that the, the thing about the gin is it's the tonic. It's a quality tonic. That's what you want. Yes. So I do buy the Fever Tree tonic. I don't know if that's a yeah. thing in the UK, but it's a it's a big thing here, and it's it is nicer, and I do like a bit of lime and a lot of ice. But I'm not fussy about the gin. And have you gone into the modern fashion of not having it in a tall straight glass, but having it in a bowl? No, I hate them. I I, I actually actively hate them. Now they're they're not practical. <laughs> I don't know who came up with that. And and I, and when I forget to say in a tall glass, please, I'm annoyed with myself because the fish bowl arrives. <laughs> and, and even and even now, I, I take a gin and tonic on stage because I, I, in the middle of this tour, I, I realized uh, I, I used to go on stage with water, and I thought to myself, "You're not a teacher." Deirdre, you're not a teacher. <laughs> it's rock and roll, love. Have the gin and tonic. Yeah, why not? So I do. And even though I don't really get to drink it, psychologically, I love it. Mm. It just gives me a lift. I have my gin and I will take it with me. But if it comes in a fishbowl, it'll end up on the floor. Like they're they're useless, <laughs> aren't they? I think you're very You're going to tell me you love them now, Mike. No, I think you're going to tell me you love them. I, I don't. I know. I hate them. I'm, I'm with you okay, on it. Okay, good, yes. good. I spent a lot of time filming in Benidorm, and there's a lot of gin for sale in Benidorm. And everybody says you have to be specific about it, otherwise they will basically give you paint stripper. Oh, really? You have to specifically say what gin you want. Wow, I'm very surprised because uh, I, I didn't know there were very bad gins. You know, and I would have thought that the tonic would drown it so much that you, you'd really have to be a connoisseur of gin. But maybe You know it's not good gin when you wake up the next morning and you go, oh, my oh, God. Okay. Right, well, I, w- I wasn't planning a trip to Benidorm, but I want to go now just to get my order right. <laughs> Were you working on Benidorm the show? I was, was yeah, you... yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what that fun was that fun. was! I... I'm jealous now, very jealous. <laughs> yes, I would have liked to have been in that. You would have been great. My mother-in-law is a big gin drinker, and she lives in my house. The Tesco man who comes to our house once a week with a delivery obviously thinks that I am an alcoholic because he brings <laughs> a liter of gin every week. Every week, fair play to her. And and is she in good shape and healthy yeah. and happy? Yeah, there you in are. There you go. Oh, listen, now, in your 80s, are you going to hold back? Well, she says she's never had a hangover in her life. Now, I said either you've had an eternal headache and haven't noticed it, Hmm. or you've got to be mistaken. That's not possible, the amount you drink. Yeah, no, she's just one of those lucky people. Hmm. I know one or two who just don't. Also, they've built up a good constitution. You know, drinking less is overrated. <laughs> that can be, you know, all this focus. Now, I'm not pushing alcohol on anybody and moderation, obviously, is the best thing. But too much moderation now. The next thing you have three drinks and you can't cope at all. Mm-hmm. So you want to maintain a nice, steady constitution. <laughs> That's what your mother-in-law has done. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Doesn't defect her. She's tried recently the 0% gin. And she says that it's all right, I can get by. And so I think that actually, maybe she's just enjoying the tonic. But listen, that's what I'm talking about, the psychology of it. Mm-hmm. I don't really get to drink the gin and tonic that I bring on stage. No. But psychologically, I have one in my hand mm-hmm. and I'm bringing it on and I'm having a little cheers with the audience because they're mostly a lot of the time allowed to have a, a, a drink in their hand. Yeah. But it's in my head. Mm-hmm. 
in my head. It's it's the drink in my hand that's doing the work, actually. Yeah. Not all of it, but <laughs> a bit of it. But that's always it interests me when when someone starts to drink the zero alcohol and they say they end up with a similar buzz. But you see, a lot of it is probably the sugar from the tonic. You're getting yeah. a little sugar high. Probably. She soon goes back to the gin. Yeah, of course she does. <laughs> <laughs> Fair play to her. I'm full of admiration for her. I think she's dead right. It'll keep her limber. <laughs> well, good old gin. Mother's ruin, as they always called it. I do like, I mean, there are there are other drinks I like. I, I have a tradition of drinking champagne when I get bad news. That's a very good idea. Yeah, I, I think it's a great idea. It's a great reverse psychology and it, it does exactly, you go, right, that's shocking news. We'll have a glass of champagne now. And it actually... <laughs> turns the thing around it, it, it actually just helps you to just have a moment of right we'll try and get a bit of perspective on this mm. thing. it's wasted on good news you're high already that's very true actually yeah yeah and who could ever deny themselves a glass of champagne it's a fantastic thing isn't it it's a fabulous yeah. thing god almighty just... i worked with joan collins on benny dorman she never drank anything else Oh, of course she didn't. <laughs> Go on, Joan. <laughs> she woman. Yeah. Oh, that would be the calories, you see. Yeah. There's was... not a lot of calories, apparently, especially in good champagne. Right. Yeah. And, and whatever you're drinking, whether it's Prosecco or Cava or Cremant or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you must drink Brut and it must say Brut on the bottle. You know all this already. Yeah, I, it keeps I, the sugar I, level I'm down. preaching to yeah. the converted. Yeah. Yes. So it's champagne, of course, being the top Brut. Yes. Well, of course, <laughs> you are talking to the converted. Uh, it was my 42nd wedding anniversary the other day. Wow, congratulations. And that's a long time, isn't it? Fantastic. Yeah, we went out for a fabulous meal and we had a very good time. And I didn't drink an enormous amount. I had a few glasses of wine. My wife had more than me. We had the tasting menu. She had wine with every, you know, the yeah. paired wines. Yeah, that, that's a lot. Yeah. Anyway, we came back. And then as we walked up my street, a voice ahead of us said, Hello. Where have you two been? And it was our neighbour. And uh, she said, do you want to come in? We're having a champagne tasting. (laughs) Nice. I know. Wow. What a great day. That's what you call a perfect day. Perfect. We went in and joined a champagne tasting to decide which champagne he was going to buy in the future because Bollinger had become too expensive. That's the sort of neighbourhood I live in. That's a first world problem right there. <laughs> it's tough, but somebody's got to do it. That's a nice neighbour you got there, Mike. <laughs> Indeed, I know. <laughs> Let me know the next time when he's switching from his next champ. What did he pick? Strangely enough, in the end, we ran out of champagne. And I said, I think I've got a bottle in my fridge. And I'd been given it as a gift after doing an after dinner speech. And uh, <laughs> I brought it back and we opened it up and drank it. Everybody said, oh, this is the best one. <laughs> And he, again, first world problems, he had an app on his phone and it told him how much the champagne would cost to buy. And it was £65 a bottle, so he he went, this is the best. It's too much. (laughs) Well, I didn't buy it. I'm not a fool. No, you don't need to spend that, I don't think, do you, on champagne? No. Isn't that app amazing? I only only recently discovered it. What's it called? Vino something, it's on my phone, but... Yeah, it's just amazing. So you, if you're sitting in a restaurant, you can just take click onto your phone and we'll tell you where you can get it, what price. <laughs> and you say, oh, it's 35 pounds a bottle here. And yeah. this only costs 7 99 Yeah. Brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> That's very good, it's, yeah. It's Shazam for champagne. <laughs> <laughs> Shazam for champagne works very well. You should call it Shazam with a CH. You see the work we're doing now? Ah. Somebody needs to be hiring us somewhere. <laughs> 
We're on fire now. We're making Elon Musk look like a tick. It'll be the gin. Yeah. That's what's done it, Deirdre. <laughs> okay. So we've got two left. Okay. What do I have now? I have um, shoes. This is a bit of a cliche. Mm-hmm. And it isn't a cliche. <laughs> a lot of women just love shoes. <laughs> but... Um, I think a bit like champagne, buying new shoes can just, it, it really, it can just lift you. It can, it can take me out of a, a dark place. And I, I'm not, I'm no Imelda Marcos now. I don't own loads mm. by any means, but I have one memory where I had a tough experience and it was, it was at the Montreal Comedy Festival. We flew off four Irish comics. It was a show called O Comics, me and Daryl Breen and Ardell O'Hanlon and Deirdre O'Kane and somebody else. Oh, <laughs> and anyway, whatever happened, we were put on on a Monday night. Now, you know, comedy's never good on a Monday. Mm. All over the world, Monday's not a great night. And whatever happened anyway, it just, I, I think I was too lucky. I, I didn't understand that half the audience might be French speaking and they wouldn't fully get me. And honestly, I was, I was, I was down. We were all a bit down. And then we had a second show on the Tuesday and I, I didn't have a great time. Mm. And then what happened was they had put us all in this lovely fancy hotel and it was, you know, just for laughs in Montreal, such a big festival. Yeah. And the next thing, everybody was arriving and I realized, Oh, this festival really only starts tomorrow. Wednesday, and we were going home on the Wednesday. <laughs> and now I like to party. Yeah. <laughs> I like good company. And I could see comic after comic, including Chris Rock and people like that arriving. And I'm thinking, you tell me, I'm actually not going to get to hang out with anybody. Like, we're going home. And I was so miserable. I said, that's it. I'm going to the bar. I'm going to the bar. And we all went to the bar and we got royally hammered to console ourselves that we were leaving as the party was starting. And then I woke with a very bad hangover, unlike your lovely mother-in-law. And I was in such a bad state before I got in the plane. I said, right, I haven't really been, I haven't done any shopping in Montreal. I haven't seen it. And I thought, I'm going to buy shoes because shoes will fix this. This is a horror story <laughs> right now. And the thing about people who love shoes is when they particularly love shoes in a new city, because you've seen all the shoes in your city. Yeah. And, and if you go, especially Europe, I should say, like Spain or Par- you know, if you go to Paris or any any major capital, shoes are like just to die for. So I was like determined, the right, Montreal, that's it. I'm going to buy shoes and I'm going to heal this head and I'm going to heal this whole experience with this. And I, I was half in the hurry and I was just dying. <laughs> this, is, this is fresh hell now. I couldn't see anything I liked. And, and I also, we were on our way to Edinburgh to the festival. Mm. It was like literally two days away and I didn't have an ending for my show. So I was stressed out of my mind thinking uh-huh. I need a story for Edinburgh. And of course, we did two bad nights, you know, which doesn't help your head when you're when you're going on to do a show. So anyway, no. I, whatever. I thought, no, sod this. This is a mistake. I'm going to go back to the hotel and lie down, close my eyes for an hour instead. So I put my arm out to hail a taxi and literally as I put my hand out I hit somebody <laughs> oh I know what it was Be just before I did this I was so down I had a real moment I, was, I didn't have an end to my show and I did two bad ones that I was hungover and I remember thinking 
you know, one of those moments where you go, now, am I honestly, should I be in this business? Should I get out? Should I get out of this now? I was literally going and I was having a, you need to send me a sign because it's too hard. I don't have an ending for my show. I've had two rubbish (laughs) nights in Montreal and everybody had built it up to be, you know, a career breaking moment, which it was far from, I can tell you. (laughs) So I was like, is this, am I, am I, give me a sign. I think I actually was so cliched. I was like, give me a sign now. (laughs) Even if it's that I find nice shoes. I'll take it but but a sign that I'm doing the right thing and that's when I put my hand out to hail the taxi and I hit someone and when I turned around it was Billy Connolly oh and I I was so taken aback and I I <laughs> that I said oh my god I said what what are you doing here <laughs> what was actually was actually what came out of my mouth. at this comedy festival yes and 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 him being you know Mr funny and relaxed he he sort of said well I'm I'm I'm, I'm making a movie actually what are you doing <laughs> and I said oh well well I believe it or not I'm here for the comedy festival but I said I've had such a shit time I'm thinking of becoming an accountant now <laughs> and uh, so we started we so we had this chat and we we had this big long chat about mm. whatever and uh, and I was like instantly cheered up and I thought, mm. OK, well, if you were looking for a sign and Billy Connolly appears to you in the road like an angel, um, I thought, I'll take that. And I was, I was going back to the taxi. I thought that'll that might be my there might be a story in there that I could finish the Edinburgh show with. Mm. And then I went to the airport. I was telling you, I went back to the hotel and I told, I told all the others, I'm after, I'm after meeting Billy Connolly. And they all just thought I was making it up. They said, you didn't. He's not here. He's not at this festival. I said, I'm telling you, he's shooting a movie. I met him and we had a chat. <laughs> anyway, off we went to the airport and we were standing in the queue, the British Airways queue. And we were, we were going to London first. And the next thing I spot Billy Connolly about three ahead of me in the queue. So he turns around and he says, so you're stalking me now, he goes. <laughs> so we have another laugh and we walk down to the gate together. And then I remember saying to him as we, we got onto the plane and he turned left for first class and I turned right to go down the back. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, if this plane goes down. I said, I won't get a mention. It'll be all about you. <laughs> and, and it was like that story. Do you remember the singer? Now, here goes my memory is going to let me down here. Do you remember the singer La Bamba? Yeah. He was down the back of the plane. The one who died with Buddy Holly. Thank you, yeah, you Mike. Are. You're good. Thank you. Buddy Holly was up the front and I said, I'll be, I said, you'll be Buddy Holly up here now. And I'll be La Bamba boy down the back, <laughs> not getting a mention. And he laughed, and I said to him, that's the first laugh I got in Montreal. Ah, (laughs) But the best. But the best, the best, the best. And I used the story as my ending for my Edinburgh show. Oh, fantastic. So it was a a lovely full circle. Ah, Yeah. What a thing in life to bump into Billy Connolly. Yeah. Everybody in the world would like to say, guess what happened to me? Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially if you're a comic, we all love that man. You know, mm. he's been such a huge influence on everyone, hasn't he? Like, he's, yeah, amazing. He's extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. In the 1980s, I think when he was just becoming very famous, I met him at the offices of Harvey Goldsmith, who promoted Live Aid, and we were in the office yeah. and we met him, and he knew my act. He'd seen it, wow. and he told us how much he liked it, and then he told us lots of other things. And I have to admit that he was clearly very relaxed because he was talking in such a strong Glaswegian accent that I really couldn't understand anything he was saying. (laughs) You just took the praise. You knew it was positive. I smiled and nodded a lot. But what a lovely thing. No critic could say anything to you that would top Billy Connolly knowing your act and telling you he loved it. Yeah, that's funny, he said. 
Oh, great moment. I think, I hope you put that on one of your posters. I hope you put, that's funny, <laughs> Billy Hanley. <laughs> we used to put always the criticisms. Why do people do that? It's the same reason you drink champagne when you get bad news. Mm -hmm. It's the same psychology. Yeah, you're right. Isn't it? Yeah. I'll turn that around now and you can shove it up wherever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll put a lovely pair of, um, I'll get this completely wrong. What's it? Is it Manano Blahnik? Is that right? Manolo Blahnik, yes. Uh, not bad. I got close. Yeah, not bad at all. And yeah. I'm not even positive I'm saying it correctly, but I think I am. <laughs> Manola Blahnik. Manola yeah. Blahnik, yeah. Okay, we put them in. Really gorgeous and bright and individual. They're going in for you. Great. So we've got one thing to put in that you want to get rid of. Oh, oh well, well, my getting rid of is my child's iPad mm. once destroyed a, a business class flight on me. Now, I don't get to travel business class very often. No. But I was making a movie in Vietnam and... Myself and my husband made it together, and it, it had taken us five years to get this project off the ground. It was a big part of our lives, mm -hmm. a movie called Noble. And at the time, my kids were seven and four. And he, Steve had gone on ahead of me to, to prep. He was in pre-production for weeks and weeks and weeks, and I was single parenting the two, seven and five. So by the time it came for me to travel out, I was shattered. I'd been doing the single parenting, right? And I wasn't looking forward to the long haul flight, in particular with the four-year-old boy child. <laughs> I knew that Holly would be great, but I thought this fella mm. is a liability. So I wasn't looking forward to it. And I'd asked everyone for advice. And I said, listen, long haul now. What am I going to do with this child? And, and seasoned travelers said to me, listen, I'm telling you now, just have loads of snacks and loads of um things to entertain them like colors and coloring and blah and i said we don't have any there'd be no boredom and they said the ipad is a godsend mm. the ipads were relatively new then yeah the ipad is a godsend like that'll keep them quiet i was on the way to the airport and my husband rang and he said while i was on the way he said i have very good news and i said what's that and he said because we have flown so many cast and crew out, he said, I have enough air miles to upgrade you to oh. business class. Mm. And I was ecstatic. Yeah, I, I was just, I can't tell you. I said, oh my God, oh my God, I will, I will stay with you. <laughs> so the three of us were business class and and I it's it's amazing what being told you, you're gonna you're going to be upgraded to business class does for you. I I got I got a new walk. I actually walked into the airport like, like I owned it. I sashayed. <laughs> I sashayed to the desk. I just became a different person. Hello. 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 How are you? How are you? Waving, waving at all the scangers over there who are going into town. How are you? How are you? All the people queuing. Queuing. Happy queuing. And they're going, well, Miss O'Kane, this is lovely. Just go straight through to the business glass lounge. Mm where there's free food and free drink and the whole lot of us, the three of it, me and the children were hammered. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was, we got on the plane and it was all food and wine and it was wonderful. And it was about, we were, I think it was going to be 14 hours of flying. Mm -hmm. And the first five, six hours were just, they were just glorious. It was just dinner, a meal and a movie and everything was fine. Mm -hmm. And then. Then came the moment of horror when they made an announcement and said, now, ladies and gentlemen, we're just going to lower the lights so that you can all recline in your lovely seats that turn into beds and we'll all have a lovely big kip for ourselves. And I said to the boy child, age four, I said, now, Dan, 
I said, that's it. I said, we've all been told to put the technology away. And I said, we're going to go for a sleep because I thought he's got to sleep. Like it's too long. Mm. And he said, no. (laughs) Very loudly, a big roar. And that was when I heard the first shh. And I got a few daggers from around me and I thought, oh God, okay, that's, that's not going to work. I'll try my very calm mum and explaining. I said, no, Daniel, I said, this is, everyone has to sleep. I said, otherwise they'll throw you out. And yeah, yeah, I was doing all that. And I swear to God, the child screamed. He went, no! And and this time now, there was a lot of shh, 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 a lot of it now. I remember this one man, he locked eyes with me in a kind of a I have spent 10 grand on this night. <laughs> I am begging you. It was like I mm-hmm. said, I am begging you not to fuck this up on me. Like, literally. So I was like, oh, my God, I had the fear of God. So then I remember grabbing Daniel's arm and I thought, I won't try. I won't try kindness. I'll pinch his arm and take. So, so I went like this and he went, ah! <laughs> So I had, the, I, I had to let him have it. I could not get it off him. Mm. I couldn't get it off him because it was so noisy and he was so, he was objecting so much. He was clinging to it like it was a life raft. <laughs> like it was like, like his life depended on it. So I said, okay, okay, I'm, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave this. And then my daughter was asleep. She was perfectly sleeping. Mm. So I said, right, I'm going to get up and go to the bathroom and breathe because I'm so stressed now. So I got up and as I got up to go, I knocked a glass of ice cold water all over my daughter. Uh. She woke up like this. What? She was soaked now. The little leggings all the way through. So she soaked. So there was more. It was turning into a horror film. A horror film. <laughs> so I was... And she was soaked and it wasn't like a little dribble. It was like I had to take the leggings off. I had to get her a change of clothes. I didn't have a change of clothes for her because she was seven. So I went to the bag and I was like, no, I only brought change of clothes for him because he's he's manky. He's mm-hmm. a boy child and she's perfect perfection. Yeah. So no, I'd nothing. All I had was the smallest little pair of wife fronts for a four-year-old boy. So I, I put them, I put them on her, and I remember thinking we could have the youngest case of thrombosis the world has ever seen here. <laughs> and then I had to wrap her in a blanket because I had nothing else on her. And she said, "I need to go to the toilet." So I wrapped her in a blanket, and she went up through the plane like Gandhi up to the bathroom. She went like Gandhi, and then she she came back, and of course, and then she sits in her seat and she goes, "My seat is wet." So I got out of my beautiful business class seat. Mm-hmm. And I got into hers, her wet seat, and I gave her mine um, between Gandhi in the feckin' seat beside me in the blanket <laughs> and the boy child on the iPad. And I spent the next six hours looking at him, freaking out. I tried to take the iPad off him every 20 minutes because mm-hmm. I thought he can't have an iPad for 12 hours like he's four. And I was thinking, <laughs> what is going to happen to his head? Like it could explode. I, I was literally, you know, I was demented about what was going to happen to him. And, and, and I'm panicked about him not sleeping for some reason. I couldn't let it go. I just kept trying to get it up. It was a nightmare. So that's social pressure. That's social social pressure. Social pressure. You go, you're in a, a posh place. People have spent a lot of money. They're shushing you. I mean, the intolerance of people is quite extraordinary. I remember thinking, if I was down the back in economy, there'd be a bit of kindness. Yeah, yeah. People would offer to help. People, that's exactly what I would have done. I would have gone up and said, do you want me to play with them? Yeah. Oh, God, no. They were trying to get their sleep and they paid a lot of money. We paid for privacy. So get yeah. out of my life. I know. Yeah, 100%. And what happened then, what happened in the end was, 
I remember thinking, I was in the seat thinking, okay, what'll happen now if we land? They have to call an ambulance. There could be an ambulance on the runway to pick up this child (laughs) to take us straight to the hospital. And then I was imagining the court case for neglect, you know, and I I kept imagining, I kept imagining the the judge saying to me, but why did you let your child play on an iPad for for 12 hours? But I'd be saying, but we were in business class, Your Honour. You you know what that's like. (laughs) And I'll never forget as long as I live, the minute we landed in Saigon, right, the minute the wheels of the plane hit the ground, my son's face, he collapsed onto the iPad like that. He fell into a deep, deep sleep, Uh, right, meaning, of course, that I had to carry the -hmm. little four stone bag of spuds weight of him (laughs) in my arms, in which was now 40 degrees outside. (laughs) And I I got off the plane, off the business class, holding the sack of spuds and the daughter wrapped in the blanket like Gandhi. And we walked out (laughs) and we looked like the husband was expecting to see me lovely and relaxed after the business class. We looked as if we had walked. From London to Saigon. <laughs> I can imagine. That's the state that we were in. The state, an absolute state. Yeah. So that's a memory. No, no, I don't blame <laughs> I'd you. I'd like to forget that, that that iPad. Strangely enough, that is a memory that not many men would share. And that's a weird thing, isn't it? Because I have exactly the same experience of working in Australia and saying to my wife, come out. And she came out with our three-year-old and two-year-old. Right. On a plane. And for the last bit from, I think, India to Australia, my son's ears wouldn't pop. So he was in agony. Oh, my God. Can you imagine the people around? The air hostess actually came up to my wife at point, my point and said, I'm terribly sorry, but a number of people have said, can you stop your child crying? And she said, what, throttle him? Like, what do you think I'm doing? It's ridiculous, isn't it? Insane. Obviously, a, a woman who, who didn't have children. If you don't have children, you don't understand. I mean, that, that sounds very disparaging. No, you, but you know what I mean. I do. In that context, yeah. you wouldn't understand. I, I actually, there is no way to stop this crying. No. This child is in pain. Mm-hmm. Like even eating jellies or drinking, you should, they can't keep drinking. I remember trying to give one of mine a bottle yeah. for that reason, so that the ears will pop, because if you swallow, you know, your ears will pop. But like they can't keep going. And, and, and I was doing it for so long that she eventually projectile vomited <laughs> because I'd, I'd given her too much. Of you course, know, I, yeah. I was so desperate to stop the wailing. For the sake of other people and myself, probably, that the next thing there was a big projectile vomit. Lovely. <laughs> oh, Do you remember them? Do you remember them, Mike? Yeah. Do you remember projectile vomiting? Would you go back? No, you wouldn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, what we've suffered. What we've suffered. <laughs> the great thing about being a comic is that always when there's a story or a horror like that, I think, I will make money out of this <laughs> it kills me. <laughs> yes, I'm going to turn this thing round to my advantage mm. one way or another. Yeah, um, because that, that's what audiences want the most. They want the horror stories. They don't, <laughs> yeah. they want to they they know about your nice life. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want you going down well to a Canadian crowd and then buying beautiful shoes. No. Tell us the horror story, George. Tell us when you died. <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, I can't wait to see you at the Soho Theatre. Uh, it's the 19th to the 22nd of July. Fantastic. Soho Theatre. I'm so looking forward to come back to London. I miss it terribly, actually. And it, it's the best of both worlds uh, to be here and then to get back to London to work uh, and visit. So I can't actually wait. 
Mm. It'll be lovely and sunny in July in London. It will it? be. You'll come back and say, why did we ever leave? It's always like this in London. It's so perfect. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then a child will projectile vomit all over you. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's it. On we move. Deirdre, thank you very much. How lovely to thank meet you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. What a pleasure. Uh, that was lovely. Thank you so much. Oh, that's good. I'm glad. Yeah, gosh, that's easy. You're so brilliant. I can't wait to put it out. It's fabulous. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Deirdre O'Kane. Thank you for listening. If you're thinking of booking to see Deirdre, then if you can get tickets for the 20th of July at the Soho Theatre in London, I'll see you there. If you enjoyed this podcast, and if you didn't, why on earth are you still listening to it, then please do rate us by clicking on five stars, if you haven't done so already. Some podcast providers even give you the option to write a review, so if you'd like to do that, we'd be especially delighted. And if you subscribe, then you'll get sent every new episode as it's released. You can then decide if you want to listen to it or when you want to listen to it, but it'll be there when that time comes. You can also download the theme tune from Spotify. It was written by Pass the Peas Music. Now, that's not a name that's easily forgotten, surely. And as we mentioned before this podcast began, you have the option of listening to this podcast ad-free if you subscribe for a very small monthly donation to Acast Plus. That donation obviously goes to us, but it helps to pay for the making of this podcast, so thanks very much. Details in the description of this episode. My Time Capsule was produced by John Fenton Stevens and is a cast-off production for Acast. Right, I'll just have a little sniff, and I'll leave you with this piece of advice that has always stood me in good stead, and indeed stead me in good stood. If you're being chased by a wild pack of taxidermists, don't play dead. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.